Yes, we are talking about presence this morning. We're beginning a, a new series uh, that we're talking about the presence of the Father, the peace of Christ, which you just passed, and the power of the Spirit. And I remember uh, still the first time that I was really challenged with, um, with the idea of God's presence. It was in college, and I went to a secular university, Eastern Illinois University, and um, we had a number of church groups and parachurch organizations, a number of Christian groups, and we decided it'd be really neat if we all got together and worshiped together. And so we did. We planned it out. It was really neat, the, the worship, the prayer, the, the teaching. It was, it was really fun. And we were walking home. I was walking with one of my good friends, April, uh, who's a pastor now, by the way, and, uh, and her roommate, and her roommate wasn't part of our uh, Christian fellowship in a varsity. She was from a charismatic background and hers was one of the groups that joined together in worship. And we're walking, we're talking about how awesome the night was. And then she said, yeah, did you feel God's presence? If you didn't feel God's presence, you must be dead. <laughs> and outwardly, I'm like, yeah. And inwardly, I was like, am I dead? <laughs> what does that mean? How do, how do I understand that? I mean, probably my, my first objection was, isn't God like everywhere? Like, how could you say his presence is here, but not there? Isn't that part of who God is? So is that just something Christians say? Weird Christians. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the odd ones, they, oh, your presence, yeah, awesome, woohoo! And I just go, yeah, is that just, is that just a phrase or is it a thing? Like, like a real thing, a biblical thing, a true thing. And that began my process of really saying, what, what is that? Is that something? And when I say, when I ask the question, is it a thing? Is it something that God has for us in this new life that he's given us? Right? Here we like to talk about what we call kingdom life or abundant life, that, that Jesus didn't just come to get us into heaven. First and foremost, he came to get heaven into us right here, right now. He came to give us a different kind of life, a life that looks qualitatively different than the life we lived before Christ, a life that looks qualitatively different then our, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers who don't know Christ. And is presence meant to be one of those distinctives, one of those qualities, one of those things that he says, yes, this is for you, this is for and about and a part central even to the new life that I have for you? You can probably guess my answer. But we're going to look at, over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to look at those three things. I believe they are essential qualities or distinctives. The presence of the Father, the peace of Christ, and the power of the Spirit that he wants. Jesus modeled that in his life and invites us to go after, to lean into, to seek those distinctives. And we're going we're gonna to walk in each of those uh, three. Can someone turn on the air conditioning? 
especially for our pregnant mama up here. I'm getting hot, but I'm looking at her. So can we, thank you, Ralph. So, <laughs> so, so it could be the Holy Spirit or it could be just it's hot in here, right? So can we look at those three and say, are, are those things, are, are they meant to be a part of the life that God has for us? We're going to look at a story, this phenomenal story, way back in the beginning of Scripture, the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Would you turn with me to the book of Exodus? If you've brought your Bibles, wonderful. There are some Bibles located in some seats in front of you. And we are going to look at an early story from the life of Moses. And I'd have to say, this is probably my favorite story in the life of Moses, which is saying something, right? Moses had some incredible events in his life, burning bush and so forth. But this, we, ah, there we go, air conditioning. But this story comes at a crucial point. Now, you, you've got Genesis and you've got Exodus and they were exited from Egypt. God uses Moses to, to call them out of Egypt to the promised land. They're not at the promised land yet. They're still figuring out what it means to be the people of God. And they are in the desert. And Exodus is a lot of receiving the commandments of God and also God is going to give specific instructions about the tabernacle. The tabernacle would be a structure where God would live in the middle and in the midst of God's people. But it's not built yet. He's given the instructions, all right? And the tabernacle is not built yet, okay? Now, also, who knows that the Israelites made some mistakes like doozies in the desert, right? One of the biggest doozies was the golden calf, right? Moses goes up in the mountains. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. The people of God get impatient with him, right? And they're like, you know what? He might be dead. We don't know where this God is, so here's a good idea. Let's collect all our golden calf and form a golden calf and worship the calf, right? No, horrible idea. God is really, really upset, so they're telling the story of how angry God is with his people. And yet in the story, there's a little bit of an interruption because we're, we're told in the midst of the story how Moses talks with God, how Moses engages with God. And we find that in chapter 33 of Exodus, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to the tent, to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Note what happens when he enters the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay or rest at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Now keep in mind, in the desert, what God would do is during the day, he would give a pillar of cloud. That's how they knew God was among them. 
was the pillar of cloud during the day and the uh, pillar of fire at night. And so you've got this tent. Tabernacle hasn't been built yet. You've got this tent. Moses enters the tent and what happens? Pillar of cloud rests on the entrance of the tent. All right? Verse 10, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Let's pause for just a moment here. Because part of my struggle with this idea of the presence of God is, as we said, it's a theological term called omnipresence. Omni, Latin for all. He is all present everywhere. Is God everywhere? Is he present everywhere? Yeah. So how... How could his presence be in the midst of the worship time we had in college among Christians and not among us while we were walking? That doesn't make sense. If he's all present, then how could he be there? And yet, uh, um, for example, David, this psalm, it's a famous psalm, Psalm 139. He would say this about God's presence. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Wherever David goes, wherever we go, God is present because he is God, right? And yet, this story starts to press us into a different sense. It's maybe a mysterious sense, But in some way, this pillar of cloud represents what I'm going to call God's manifest presence. His active presence. That in a different way, that when when Moses enters the tent of meetings, God's presence rests. I mean, they can see it. There are five senses. There's that sense that they can recognize that there's something different. We might not be able to figure it out all theologically. We might believe fully in the all presence of God. And yet there's a moment in the life of God's people, we just read it, when they would see this pillar of cloud, pillar of fire by night, rest in their midst. And they recognized It was different, something unique. Now, this was actually a little bit of an insertion into the story of the golden calf, okay? And so so they tell us how Moses is interacting with God, and they want, and the uh, inspired authors of Exodus are telling us how we are to understand Moses is going to engage God and plead on behalf of the people. So he goes to the tent of meetings. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. That's a little bit awkward in the phrasing. What he's saying is, You've not let me know who you really are, God. 
You've not let me see your essence. Keep in mind, God, uh, Moses is saying this to the one true living God. Speaking to him face to face. You have said, I know you. God has said to Moses, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. God has found favor with God, with Moses. If you are pleased with me, listen to what he says. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. Remember, Hebraic understanding of know isn't just an intellectual. It's an experiential. It's a relational. He's saying, teach me. I want to know. Know really who you are. Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So Moses is saying, God, I I don't really want to do this. This is for you. And, And yet you're not revealing yourself fully to me. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now what a profound statement you think that would be enough? If I was in Moses' shoes, I'd probably be like, thank you, God. He does not say thank you. Let's read what he says. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you Go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. What he means by that statement, glory means weight, Show me your essence. Show me who you are. Reveal to yourself that I might know you and walk in your ways. Can you believe Moses talks to God like that? Doesn't that take some guts? Doesn't that like a wow? That endears me to Moses. That's why it's my favorite story. He's like, God, not without your presence. No, this this is a deal breaker, God. Without you. Don, I I think this story in in a very powerful way reveals some essential truths about the presence of God, how we understand it, how we live it in our midst. And one of the first things it just points us to, maybe doesn't explain it completely, it points us to this mystery of manifest presence. It, it points us. Do you think that God believed, that Moses believed that God was everywhere? I'm guessing that he did. I'm guessing that he believed. And yet Moses understood there was this mysterious difference between God's active presence, 
God's manifest presence and his omnipresence, his everywhere, that probably Moses, and I don't think I can articulate in this perfect theological way, but there's this mysterious difference and Moses would know it. And Moses thought it was a thing. It was such a big deal, a big thing that he said, actually, God, don't send me up from this place. Don't send our people without your manifest presence. You see, what was happening in the story of the golden calf is that God was so furious with the people that you know what he said? Part of their punishment was he said, you can still go to the promised land, but I'm out. I'm not going with you. Uh Uh-uh. I I am so furious. I'll send my angel. I'll send my angel to go with you. Did you know that there was a time that that God said that? So I'm so upset. You have violated this. No, I'll send my angel. And so you know what Moses says? No deal. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. That's not okay, God. That. That's not okay. If it's without your presence, I'm sure the angel is awesome. I want you. I want you. Can you imagine if we were to say, God, I I don't want to live any aspect of my life without your presence. I don't want to, in my marriage, in my relationships, in in my parenting, it's got to be with you. If it's, no, your angel is not enough. In fact, Exodus 33, he says, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. And Moses says, no deal. Uh Uh-uh, God. Uh Uh-uh, it's got to be. In fact, it's so powerful how Moses talks about the significance of God's manifest presence. Again, look at verse 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. No deal, God. I don't take the deal. Verse 16. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people, unless you, not your angel, you, you alone, go with us. What else will distinguish me from your people, from all the other people on the face of the earth? What Moses is saying, that your presence is central to our identity. It's a part of how this broken world will know who we are. And friends, I want to argue that is far more true today than even it was back then in Exodus. You see what's going to happen in the story of God's people is you've got the tent of meetings. And then at the end of Exodus, they complete the tabernacle. And then God's presence rests in the tabernacle and it's all, uh, he's in the midst of God's people. And then the tabernacle will become what? Who knows that? You know what it is. The temple. God's presence will rest in the temple and then the temple is destroyed. So is God's presence not here on the earth anymore in a manifest way? Where is it? It's God's gathered people. His presence is meant to be in our hearts and our souls. 
think he's inviting us to be the, his people and that one of the distinctions or, or Moses uses that word distinguishes us that one of the distinguishing characteristics of our lives should be the presence of God. Exodus 40, 33. And so Moses finished the work. They finished the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tent of meetings. Now it's the tabernacle. And the glory, God's weight, God's essence, God's presence, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Do you see What's happening? Do you see how God is forming and shaping the people of God, you and I and our understanding? Do you see? He's saying this is a big deal. This isn't just what some weird Christians say. This is meant to be part of your identity, who you are. Now, one more before we get real practical, but I think this is part very important in terms of presence. The Hebrew word for presence is panim. It's panim. And it literally means face or countenance or the person. So to be in the presence, it's, it's very much in a, in a human, if I'm in the presence of my wife, she was here in the first service, in the presence of my wife, I'm in the presence not of this impersonal force, like Star Wars or the Force, right? As cool as that would be, not an impersonal force, God's presence as you're in the presence, less like the force of Star Wars, more like being in the presence of a person, as a husband would be in the presence of his wife, as a friend to friends would be together. In fact, uh, Dallas Willard talks about this a little bit. Dallas Willard lost his mom when he was a young child, and he writes of a little boy that he knew who also, whose mom had died. He says, uh, this boy was especially sad and lonely at night. He would come into his father's room and ask if he could sleep with his father. Even then, he could not rest until he knew not only that he was with his father, but that his father's face was turned toward him. And in the darkness, he would say, Father, is your face turned toward me now? Yes, his father would say. You are not alone, I'm with you. My face is turned toward you. When at last the boy was assured of this, then he could fall asleep. And listen to what Dallas Willard said, how lonely life is. Oh, we can get by in life with a God who does not speak or a God who is distant. Many at least think they do so, but is not much of a life and it is certainly not the life God intends for us or the abundance of life Jesus came to make available to us. In our lives, I think maybe this is a helpful way at least for me to understand 
manifest presence is when in those key moments in our life, God turns his countenance upon us. And there's a time we can, we can feel it. We can know it. We can experience it. Sometimes in times of loneliness, I can relate with this little boy that I share that, that pain and I don't know any other way to describe it yet God turning his face to me and knowing that unlike in another way his presence has filled my soul. Feel that in the worship service that we, in, in the songs of worship that we just sang sense that in that way God you know, in the blessing of Aaron, right? He says, may he bless you, may his, the Lord cause his face, his countenance to shine upon you. That's the good life. Do you hear Dallas Willard? He's saying that's the abundant life. That's the kingdom life. That's the life that Jesus died on the cross for us to live in the here and now, not just when we get to heaven, but right now. In this moment. Now, here's the question that I'd like to ask, leave you with. If we really believed this, if we really believed that God's manifest presence was a thing, how would our lives look different? How is that meant to be that distinguishing factor? As Moses said, what else will distinguish us, God? from all the other people, if we really believed that, if we, if we understood that, how would our lives look different? Now we're gonna develop this uh, in the next couple of weeks, not only the, the peace of the, fa- uh, the, the presence of the Father, but also the peace of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. But I just wanna get a beginning place for us in terms of the peace of God. I'm sorry, the presence of God. How would our lives look noticeably different? One, I would say that if we believe that was available to us, that we would seek after God's manifest presence in our lives. That, that we would seek, that we would ask, that we would knock, that we would long for something more. In fact, all of Scripture, who knows this truth, that there's so much that is available to us in the kingdom of God, but it's not automatic. We have a role to play. Do you know that? That we, that uh, all this is available, but throughout Scripture, God invites us to go after it. God invites us not just to be bystanders to this kingdom life, but he's saying, no, I have so much for you. Would you seek? Would you come? Would you long? Would you press in? Would you push through barriers, push through discouragement? Would you come? I have so much, but you have to fight. You have to long. You have to press in. One of my favorite scriptures, and it's related to the temple, when the temple, Solomon, um, leads the the work of of building the temple, and so the tabernacle becomes the temple. 
and they dedicate it. God's presence fills the temple. And then uh, God speaks to Solomon about the significance of the temple that is now in Jerusalem and the center of the life of his people. And this is what God says to Solomon. Listen to the, to the presence language of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my That's interesting. So we're not just to remain there on the Christian life. Man, that's, that's awesome. That's good. No. God is saying, who? If there is that right heart, that, that place of humility, if my people will humble themselves, have that right heart condition, and seek my face, it's available. It's part of the life. You can live the lonely life. You can get by. I'll even let you be Christians. But if you want the good life, you'll seek my face. And listen to this promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Why? Because that's where God would be in a manifest presence way. He'd be in that temple he say, if you want to seek my face, come here, gather here, because I am here in a different way than in the rest of the world. And yes, it has implications for today. New Testament, we're going there, very exciting. But we get to seek his presence. I came across this clip from a, a movie called The Tree of Life. It's a fascinating movie. And it... Um, it depicts a little boy who's praying. And we're gonna, we're gonna watch this clip. This little boy's praying, and a lot of his prayers are just like a typical boy who would pray. Like he's doing his, you know, help me not to get in fights and help me not do all those other things. But then there's a whisper, and I'm gonna ask you guys to turn it up really loud so we can try and hear the whisper. The whisper, he's praying like any normal boy would pray, like his parents would teach him to pray. And yet there's another aspect, a different aspect that he's pressing in. He's praying in a slightly different way. And you can see he's wrestling between these two ways of praying, just kind of that list prayer, the dutiful prayer, the prayer how he's supposed to as a little boy, and yet something more. Let's run the clip. Not to ask my dad. Help me not to get dogs and fights. Don't want to be thankful for everything I got. Where do you live? 
not until last. Are you watching me? Could you make out his whispers? He's saying, are you here? Do you see me? Do you, I want to see what, what you see. You see this back and forth. It was very Moses-esque, isn't it? It, it was this, this longing for the, to know his creator in such a simple way. If that little boy can pray that way, could we pray that way? If that little boy can ask those questions, I'm so glad I found that clip because I was going to say, be more like Moses. And you're like, Moses, who can be like Moses? But Moses, but his little boy, this simple the, this longing for something more, not just, Lord, help me not to sin, bless my family, bless the food. You know, you know how we pray, right? Those, those are good prayers. But this idea of presence is, there's a longing for something more. Would you join me in this longing for something more? Don't stop praying the, the regular prayers, right? Those are they're good. But would you join me in praying like that little boy, like Moses? Lord, I, do, you, do you see me? Are, are you here? I want to see what you see. I want to feel. I want your heart to be my heart. I, I want to be more than just the rituals of the faith. Do, do I get to know your ways? Love that Moses. How do I... I want to know your ways so I can live right, so I can find favor, so I can keep doing it well. I want to know that. Was that only available to Moses and not available to us? No. How do you think, I know it's a movie. That boy was real. Let's say there's a thousand boys praying like that. In our country, how do you think the Father looks down upon those prayers? Do you think he says, too bad you're not Moses? What do you think? I think that we would really seek and go after the face, the countenance, the presence of God, his manifest presence. And I think this too I think that if we would do that, God would not look down and go, sorry, you ain't Moses. Sorry, you've got too much sin. Praise God that Jesus died on the cross because now he doesn't say, ooh, no, uh-uh. I'll let you be Christians, but I'm not gonna be with you because your sin is so gross. Do you know why he doesn't say that? 
the cross, right? He that God the Father won't say that because Jesus covers our sin. So he doesn't go, all right, be a Christian, but not with my presence. No. He says, yeah. Yeah, I created you. I, I knit you together in such a way that in those quiet moments, that longing for more, I want to fill that. I think we would seek, but also we would grow in intimacy with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another concept I love that's found in the Old Testament is this concept of oneness and unity. In fact, I'm doing, I just did a, a wedding uh, Friday night, and for all the couples that I marry, I talk about the very first Marriage and the purpose of marriage. Actually, the purpose of marriage is not happiness. I hope you ha we have much happiness in our marriage. It's not the purpose. Oh, there's one of the couples I'm marrying. It's not holiness, is it? Right? Holiness is not the purpose of marriage, though uh, I hope that you grow in holiness. But the purpose, God's intent of marriage is intimacy. Do you know that? that we would be intimate, that we would grow in intimacy, not just physical intimacy, though that's part of marriage, but spiritual, emotional, social, intellectual intimacy, that we would be growing in this way. The very first mar marriage, he said, you will, King James Version, leave and cleave, this cleaving, you will leave your mother and father and you will cleave. You will be united. You will become, even though you're two people, you will become one. And actually, he extends that beyond the covenant of marriage. There's a sacred relationships that we get to have that I get to have with my good friend. It's gonna look different with my best friend than it does with my wife, but we get to grow in this oneness in a different way but in a godly way, this oneness. And you know what Jesus does? He takes this idea of oneness, these sacred relationships, and he says, guess what? You get to be one. You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get to know, you get to know us. You get invited in the sacred unity and community. In fact, Jesus says in John this, I pray that they, all the people who will be following after Jesus and become Christians, that they would all be one. Just as you and I are one, Father, as you are in me, that's how he describes the oneness, Father, and I am in you, and may they, Christians, be in who? Us. Who's the us? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a in. There's a oneness. There's a unity that's there. There's this, this presence. I was reading the story of a poet. His name is Christian Wyman. And he was diagnosed with an incurable form of of blood cancer. 
And, and he wrote uh, frankly and poetically about the effects of his illness and his treatment. Just a little portion. I, he wrote this, I, I've had bones die and bowels fail. Joints lock in my face and arms and legs so that I could not eat, could not walk. Not a pretty picture of how the devastating effects of not only the, the cancer but the treatment that was there he would return to the faith of his childhood in this cancer. He had stepped away, kind of in university days, kind of became kind of an agnostic, and he would re-embrace the faith through this pain because, he says, he found a, a solidarity with the suffering of Christ. That in his suffering he found the suffering of Jesus. And listen to what he said. He said, God is with us, not beyond us in suffering. I love that. God is with us, not beyond us in suffering. He meets us there. He said, I am a Christian because I understand that moment of Christ's passion to have meaning in my own life. In the face of brutal, isolating pain, we don't really want answers. We want a person. At such times, there's simply no substitute for the presence of Christ. At such time, there's simply no substitute for the presence of Christ. He meets us there. I believe that he wants to grow in intimacy. He wants to shine his face upon us. And then finally this, that we would experience the fruit of his spirit more deeply let me un unpack this, this idea just a moment real briefly. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's connected with this passage. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What Paul is saying there is that remember, the glory of God is God's essence, God's weight. He said to Moses, after Moses said, show me your glory, he said, I'll cause my, all my goodness to pass in front of you. Not all of it, it would destroy Moses, but he gets to, to see the essence. He, he answers Moses' request. And now Paul says, in a better way, in this new covenant, we get to experience God and his glory rests in us. And then we are transformed. We begin to look more like God, more like Jesus. More of his goodness rests in us. Isn't that like mind-blowing? You know, your, 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 your son or daughter, if, for those of us who have children, yes, they look like us genetically sometimes, not always, but sometimes. 
But then they also look like, a, like us environmentally. They're with us. They, they pick up our habits, our, our mannerisms, our intonations of our, vo- of our voice and so forth. He's saying it works that way too with Jesus. It is that his weight, his, his glory as it rests in you, as he causes his face to shine on you. Look at that passage. We're transformed into the likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Wow. I want to reserve these bowls of water. Usually we do those in the midst of the worship. And I just wanted to allow them to be there. There is a this idea of we get to press into things. We're not just, uh, uh, I'm missing the word. We're not in the football stands. We're meant to be on the field. We're not just complacent followers of Christ. Complacency, there it is. But we're active members. I want to invite you to join me in this journey of saying, I will seek I will press in. I will long. I I don't get it. It doesn't always work out all completely. But I will long. God, if your presence and peace and power are meant to be distinctives in my life, I would say I welcome that. Teach me how to live like you. Teach me how to be transformed into your likeness. Teach me to look just a little bit more like you. Jesus, I want to live the life that you have for me. And as a sign, if you'd like to respond in prayer and worship and remain in your seat, that's great. If you would like to come to the bowls of water just as that sign of saying, God, I want to seek after you in this way. I want to know you more. I want to live life with your face turned towards me, with your countenance shining upon me. that The tables, the waters, just one way to say, Lord, I'll seek after. It's my way. As we worship, if you feel so led, please take advantage of that. Can we stand together? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Your presence is welcome in this place. Welcome in our midst. Would you come and transform us in ever-increasing 